If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 611. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audio book of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by becoming a member at McClanahan Academy. Purchase a class or 20 there. That helps keep this show free of charge. Also, click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way. Click on the shop tab. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Share this podcast around on social media. Do all you can to get people interested. Comment at the YouTube channel. That helps the algorithm. Do everything you can to get people seeing this show because that's how we grow the audience. All right, well, let's talk about the audience because I do accept show requests. And this is a listener-generated episode. And it's going to focus on an email I received from a listener and also a suggestion that I had from a listener. I'm going to put the two together because they work in conjunction. So earlier this week, we talked about the Southern political tradition and an essay by George Rogers in the book, Why the South Will Survive. And he mentions Calhoun and how Southerners were able to use the procedures of the Congress to ensure that they dominated certain parts of the Congress in the 20th century, and thus ensuring that they controlled much of the legislation that came out of Congress. It really was an ingenious move. There's actually a book entitled The Natural Superiority of Southern Politicians. It's an amazing book. But I think that more than that, this idea of federalism is so important for the future of America. And yesterday we talked about the economic ramifications of the war and how it was certainly openly said that the objective of the North during the war was to nationalize everything. That's what John Sherman said. We want to nationalize everything. Not just one thing. We want to nationalize everything. So we're going to nationalize the economy. We're going to nationalize politics. We're going to nationalize social issues. We're going to nationalize everything we can in America. And of course, when you nationalize the economy, it does much to bring about the other parts of the agenda. So you can't get around economic history. You know, when the economy goes bad, everything goes bad. When it's going well, the party in power takes credit for it, even if they had nothing to do with it. But at the heart of this, when you look at what the Republicans were doing, at the heart of it, the idea was to strike down state powers, to strike down federalism, to ensure that the Republican Party would have dominance for generations. It's exactly what Calhoun predicted would happen. Remember, the Republican Party is a minority party overall. The only way they could stay in power when the war was over was to keep the South out of the Union, essentially. And what I mean by out of the Union, make them military districts and say that former Confederates can't vote. And so that ensures they can continue in power. But eventually, that's done away with. 
Of course, they were also very afraid of what would happen if the three-fifths clause of the Constitution was done away with because they understood that if now you counted former slaves as one whole person, well, that gives the South a lot more representation in the Congress, doesn't it? They were actually weaker in the Congress than the Republicans thought uh, the Republicans realized they, they could have been, right? In the Philadelphia Convention, Southerners wanted slaves counted as one whole person towards representation, not as three-fifths. Northerners didn't want them counted at all. So Southerners are saying, look, I mean, this is actually, it, it was a compromise, but the argument is that the South had more representation than they should have. Well, in reality, they had less representation than they should have. I mean, this is, if we're going to say slaves are humans, which the South recognized they were, and this is what we're going to say. Well, these are people. They should have been treated as such. Well, then they should be treated as such toward representation, shouldn't they? So this is this is where all of this stuff blows up in the face of the Republicans. And eventually, they lose their majority in Congress. But it takes some time. We know that the Democrats don't retake the executive mansion until Grover Cleveland. Uh, even, and, and in fact, you know the only reason they beat Cleveland in his attempt to have uh, re-election in 1888 is because Benjamin Harrison, uh, well, I should say this, the Republican Party cheated in that election. Um, so 1892, Cleveland's back. But the Republican Party cheated. They were well known for cheating. And uh, this was a part of late 19th century politics. But I want to get into this idea of thinking locally and acting locally. So Bill Maher, who uh, you may know from his show, the uh, Politically Incorrect, which is on HBO. It's had a I mean, long-running show, right? And I know people who have been on that show. Uh, Marr is seen as an outspoken leftist. But what's interesting about Marr is that he's become a vociferous opponent of cancel culture. He thinks it's a bad idea. Marr is also pretty consistent when it comes to being anti-war. Um, he's not someone who is going to get in line with the left when they become belligerent. Which, if you look back through American history, it's usually the left, the progressives, that get us into war. But Marr has been fairly sympathetic or fairly consistent in the anti-war position. And I, I think it's fascinating what's happening with some progressives right now. Michael Bolden... Uh, is is spot on with this, and, he, and I asked him about this question the other day. We had a great webinar at the Abbeville Institute. If you don't if you don't get that podcast on Fridays or Saturdays when I put it out, you should. It's all things Southern, but we do great webinars over there with really good guests. And last week we had Michael Bolden on, and I asked him. I said, "Look, why is it that the progressives seem to be doing this more than conservatives? Why are progressives much more insistent on federalism?" than the conservatives. And there's no clear answer for this, but they are. If you look at the issues that have come to define this uh, idea of nullification, this is why you know Mark Levin gets on the radio and says, nullification is left-wing. It's just the left-wingers out there causing problems for the rest of us. Well, it's because so much of what's happened with nullification is done by left-wingers. I mean, you look at uh, the decriminalization of drugs, you look at sanctuary cities, which Bolton points out, by the way, started in the 1980s. I mean, 70s and 80s. We're already seeing this. The legislation was there because it was non-compliance. That's all it meant, that these cities just weren't going to comply with federal law. 
And so this is actually the path forward for nullification. And if you go to the Tenth Amendment Center, they've got a lot of good material on this, but it's non-compliance. But the but the point is, and I think the reason why the left is much more successful is they have the media on their side. Whereas anything that comes from the right, whether it's abortion or gun rights or these kind of things, well, that's just a bunch of racists. That's just a bunch of sexists, a bunch of bigots. And the people on the right don't want to be called these names. Uh, you know, murderers, whatever it is. They don't want to be called any of this. So they back down because of the social implications of saying that you support these things. The, the left doesn't have any of that. When you, Well, it's I'm for decriminalization of drugs. Yeah, man, you're just there to do some fun, man. It's going to be fun. Or I'm for uh, sanctuary cities. Well, that's great. You're for human rights. You see, this is how it's always phrased when the left wants to do it. When the right wants to do it, it's just a bunch of jerks out there trying to take away your rights. Take away your life. Take away your liberty. So I think that, that perception, that, um, that rhetorical perception is important. And the left, the right doesn't want to be called bad names, so they back down. But Bill Maher has said now, and I'm going to read the little article. It's only two minutes long. It's uh, for me to read it. Uh, that he's pretty interested in progressivism at the local level. This is from uh, a Texas newspaper. Ryan Rusak wrote this. And he says, Comedian Bill Maher has been on a political journey of late. Or perhaps it's more accurate to say that Maher has been standing in place, a traditional liberal watching progressives fly by him. Either way, it's been remarkable to hear some of the most cogent critiques of woke racial politics and senseless COVID policies come from Maher, whose HBO show Real Time with Bill Maher tackles politics weekly with something other late-night hosts left behind long ago, humor. I guess it's not called politically incorrect anymore, but anyways. Maher has figured out that progressives' desire to control everything not only doesn't work, but also dooms the politicians pushing it. But he's missing an important piece of the puzzle, local politics. So this is right. I mean, Maher has actually figured out, um, has figured out that, you know what? When you say you want to control it, when you want to be a Yankee, this is, I mean, this is the Yankees in America. When you want to be that, then what happens typically is that people rebel against that. They don't want to do it. They don't want somebody telling them what to do all the time, and so they're going to be critical of these positions. Americans in general have a pretty strong, uh, pretty strong distaste for being told what to do in certain parts of the United States. Political culture is what it is. Now, in certain parts of the United States, they don't care. They'll do it. But in places like the West, the, the Midwest, and some parts of the Midwest, the South, because of political culture. And then in even some northern states, when you get into the mountainous areas of like Pennsylvania, New York, these people are pretty uh, pretty independent people. Certain parts of New England, certain parts of the West Coast, you're going to find it. You're going to find these little pockets all over the place, which is why you know state borders don't mean as much anymore when it comes to political culture. But still, when it comes to powers, the borders mean something. But when you want to control people, it's going to leave a bad taste in people's mouth. On comedian Adam Carolla's podcast recently, the two Californians commiserated about the oppressive regulatory state. Marr has made a crusade of his years-long fight to install solar panels at his home, 
stymied at every turn by government that should be encouraging renewable energy. His extended exposure to the bureaucracy has him predicting that California might even go Republican at some point. Eh, probably not, at least not soon, the article says, but don't think this is just a rich guy problem either. Stifling regulation and constant roadblocks to business development are a huge reason why sensible companies can't leave the once golden state fast enough. It's also why people are getting out of California in huge numbers and settling places like Florida and Texas and other areas of the United States where they know there's not as much regulation. You can live your life a little more freely. You don't have to worry about the nanny state. You don't have to worry about a bunch of Karens running around telling you what to do. A bunch of Yankees, which is what this is, right? And this doesn't, there's Yankees everywhere, right? I mean, go to Charleston, South Carolina, you're going to find a lot of them. There's Yankees everywhere. But the fact is, people are trying to get out of these areas to try to go find somewhere that's at least a little less restrictive. Maher also expressed the source of so many people's frustration with politics, the nationalization of everything. This is coming from this piece. Rusak hits the nail on the head. And where does that come from? Well, how about the Republican Party of the 1860s, the same Republican Party that the current Republican Party wants to run around taking credit for? You know what? We're the party of Lincoln. We're the party of the Republicans. We're the party of ending slavery. You see, all this stuff is just stupid. You know who the bad guys are in that, in that equation? The Republicans when it comes to nationalizing everything. The Democrats at least wanted to keep things local. Well, but that was just because they're a bunch of racists. No, it wasn't. It's because that's the original Constitution. I don't really get that much into local politics, he said when Corolla asked him about the candidates for Los Angeles mayor. I don't know how much it really is going to affect me. This is an interesting quotation because it affects him. If he lives in Los Angeles, it affects him because that's where the rubber hits the road. Most of the government that you have to face in your life is coming from local politicians. Now, it doesn't mean there's not federal mandates behind some of this stuff. There are. There are. I mean, look, but it relies on local politicians to enforce it all. If the local governments just said, you know, we're not enforcing this stuff anymore. Forget it. And we had, we had states doing the same thing. And we had judges who are online with this saying, you know, we're not enforcing this stuff anymore. It's illegal. It's unconstitutional. You know what wouldn't have any power? The federal government. It would have no power. It couldn't do anything because it wouldn't have enough manpower to enforce anything on the books. It would be a paper tiger. Mars' work requires him to focus on national issues, of course, and he acknowledged that if he did pay more attention to his backyard, I'm sure I'd be a better citizen. But he's like so many voters, Rusak says, turning his focus to the frustrations and pettiness of national politics while ignoring the daily effect the city, county, and school district have on our lives. It's like Ryan Rusak listens to this show. Because I say this all the time. You want to make a difference? Run for school board. You want to make a difference? Get on the city council. You want to make a difference? Serve the state and the state government. Right? This is, this is pure American government 101. Now, for Rusak to say this, of course, it's come... Well, this guy's just a small-town newspaper. He works for a, a paper in Texas... Um, it's not a small paper, but works for a paper in Texas. It's a, I mean, this isn't New York Times. This isn't the Washington Post. This isn't, I mean, people, but see, the thing is, he's exactly right. He's exactly right. Some genuine clash of values is inevitable at any level of government, but we can all generally agree that we want better schools, improved transportation, and smart use of our tax dollars. Working with our neighbors on what's needed here rather than obsessing over what's not happening in Washington is how we improve the quality of our lives. 
Amen. Rusak, good job. The federal government is distant and ineffectual. Frustration is futile because it's hard for one person to be heard in such a large country. And why get worked up about what happens in other states? That's a good question. I've asked that question many times. Let's hope Mars Journey leads them to realize that focusing on your community and its needs is a more fruitful use of your political attention, even if it doesn't make good material for a national talk show. Well, this is kind of, this is a worldwide talk show, by the way, because people listen to this thing all over the world. So it does make good fodder for that because this idea of thinking locally and acting locally can impact anywhere in the world, even in bad places, totalitarian states. It can. Now, that said, I want to talk about a victory of sorts for a listener of the show. And this is coming from Texas again. It's another Texas victory. You see, I tell you, get involved in things. You want to change something, go get involved. Even in your local party, if you want, your local Republican Party or Democrat Party, whatever party you want to get involved in. But get involved in these things and try to make a difference. So this listener says, as an advocate for decentralization, I just had to share my small victory from yesterday with you. I live in a North Texas uh, county. I've chosen to become involved with local Republican Party. The local Republican Party will be duly elected precinct official state starting in June. As the incoming precinct chair, the incumbent has already ceded his position to me. Yesterday, the county party held the precinct and county conventions. At the precinct convention, folks are allowed to submit any resolutions they would like the county delegation to vote on for party platform changes, rules changes, or legislative priorities and nominate delegates for attendance at the state Republican convention in June. I had submitted a resolution that morning calling for the process of statewide elected offices to be amended so that, in addition to the majority vote of the populace, the candidate also has to receive a majority vote of the counties and the state as well. Hmm. I was inspired to this change after reading John C. Calhoun's A Disquisition on Government in which he talks about a concurrent majority. So think about what this person just said. So if you want to be elected to a statewide office... Not only do you get a majority of the vote for the population, 50 plus 1%, but the counties have to agree to it. Okay, so if there are, I don't know how many counties there are in Texas. If there's 30 counties in Texas, you got to at least have a majority of the counties. So what this proposal would do is, is add a federal structure to Texas. It's beautiful. So it's... You can't just get you know all the people of Austin and Dallas and Houston to vote for you. No, no, no. You also have to have all the people of the county. You have to have a majority of the counties. Right? So it's going to add another layer to it. It's beautiful. So they continue, as I sat through the reading of all the resolutions yesterday afternoon, I couldn't wait for mine to be brought to a vote. But there was a small problem. The resolutions committee had decided to throw out my resolution and it was not brought to the floor. Being new to the process, I, of course, asked the question where my resolution was. I was given a lip service process about how they were sorted out based on redundancy and completeness, etc. Turns out I wasn't the only one to have their resolution tossed out. This is where I got lucky. The county is getting a new Republican Party chair. He said I can make a motion to introduce my resolution to the floor. That's just what I did. It was seconded and then brought for discussion. I had one person stand up and thank me for standing up to bring my resolution to vote. There was no formal opposition except for some folks stating 
It will federalize Texas. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine? That frankly sounds like a great idea to me. How dare I try to break the power of Austin? Once discussion ended, my resolution was brought to a voice vote where it was unanimously passed. I was ecstatic. Folks were coming up to me afterwards saying that it was the best resolution of the day and that they were glad to see a resolution like that presented. The overwhelming support I received was inspiring. To see the average grassroots involved person was supportive of my line of thinking. The next step is to have my resolution move on to the state where it will be voted on. I am now working to build a coalition to support it. I just wanted to pass this small victory around to you to let you know that, yes, folks are thinking locally and acting locally. That, yes, the average person is open to our ideas. That, yes, one has to get involved to take down the establishment. If I hadn't spoken up, the establishment would have effectively silenced me because they ultimately don't want the people to have the power. It's a good thing I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. So, what a great email. Number one, thank you for sending it to me, the person that sent it. They listen to the show, so they're going to hear me talk about it. But that's, that's fantastic. Number two... It's a great email because it shows you what you can do when you get involved. It shows what can happen when you start reorienting your focus away from the center into the local. Bill Maher should be worrying about what Los Angeles does because that's really, I mean, in many ways, the block to his solar panels, right? I mean, if you want solar panels, you should be able to have them. But of course, the state and the city and everything else, or the county, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of bureaucracy that's preventing him from doing this. But the fact is, Thinking locally and acting locally can solve some of these problems. It's beautiful. It's exactly what needs to happen for people who want to get involved, who want to make a difference. Forget about Washington, D.C. I don't think anybody should run for office in Washington, D.C. What we should be doing is taking our best people and putting them at the state level and saying, you know what? We're not going to take it anymore. We're not going to take you. We're not going to take your garbage. We're just going to do what we want, and we're not going to enforce any of your unconstitutional laws with our resources. You want to send in your people to try to do all this stuff? Good luck in getting it done. When you don't have hardly any manpower to get this done, you know what's going to happen? A lot of stuff is not going to get enforced. And the stuff at the state level will. So um, that's the issue. There is, there's a, a great book that talks about the unnecessary layering of laws in the United States. So there's, the federal laws are really redundant. But because the states already have all the stuff on the books anyways. I mean, this is important, right? So thank you for the people that sent both these things. The one who sent the Bill Maher article and also uh, the email. I appreciate all of that. And thank you for listening to the show and wanting to get out there and think locally, act locally. That's how we're going to turn it around. And that's why I do this show. All right. See you tomorrow on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. 